It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? I'm doing well. I'm a little tired. Slow start of the week. Yeah, me too. I guess that's kind of what happens when I stay up all most of the night torrenting. But no, it's not the first time, and it certainly won't be the last. It's the end of the month, so I expect that to be the case most nights for the next, I don't know, four nights or so. But... Oh. I was I was up late and I woke up early to go to an iPad discussion this morning. iPad discussion? How was that? Did you get to play with any? Uh, no. I I, I guess I could have if I asked, but it was more of talking about you know impact on business, productivity, connectivity, that kind of stuff. It was uh, we were separated into different groups and we just had some general discussions about it. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like with every day that goes by, I want one more and more, but at the same time I keep trying to tell myself to wait for the second generation because it'll likely be a whole lot better. Or at least wait for the 3G version. Or, I mean, the Slate hasn't come out yet, and also um, there was, I, I think some articles came out last week about um, plans for Google Tablet to come out through the, the EEPC, or I mean the EE Tablet it's supposed to be coming out, and then the MSI is supposed to come out with a, a, a Google tablet. Um, so those would be compelling choices. Yeah, I'd be interested in uh, some kind of a Google tablet, assuming it doesn't re- um, use Chrome. If it if it runs the Chrome OS, I'm not at all interested. If I it think it's Android. If I run Android, it'll be okay. I think it's Chrome OS, um, but it's supposed to have full Flash. But I don't know if you're saying it's going to be limited because you can only surf the web with it, and that's it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, with Chrome, you can install apps or anything. It's all web-based apps, and I don't know. I, as much as I like storing stuff in the cloud, I, I'm still to a point where that's not where I want my all of my main stuff to be. I mean, I don't mind using like a WordPress or a Flickr or something like that, but if my internet goes down. I still want to be able to do something and have most of my stuff where I can access it. Yeah. There was a... um, I heard rumors. I need to do a search, see if I can find it. But someone made a a Windows 7 phone tablet. Like, they took the Windows 7 phone operating system and put it on a tablet. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, I need to find that. But um, that's what I heard. I would like to see what that looks like. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. That would be... That'd be interesting. I, that was one of the things coming out of Mix that I was really hoping for, but as soon as I heard that there was going to be two resolutions for the Windows Phone 7 devices, I knew that that wasn't going to happen because they're wanting to make sure it's you're programming towards um, as few um, different kinds of 
devices as possible. Right. And if they're they're just trying to cut down on how many different resolutions and stuff you're going to have to account for, and they don't have anything with a high enough resolution for something like a tablet device. As well, much they as would if one. if they use CE Windows CE. I mean, it's a very flexible operating system. They could they could do that. I, yeah, they could technically do it with Windows Phone 7, but I, I think it's a whole um, developer-friendly thing that they're limiting it to two resolutions. Yeah, but Windows CE doesn't have that limitation, and it's already an operating system that they are sitting on and have. Yeah, all from my understanding, I think Windows Phone 7 is built on top of Windows CE. That's my yeah, understanding, anyway. That's they they same they have the same kernel or the core or something like that yeah yeah well anyway this is episode number sixty four of the Global Geek News podcast as always you can find our show notes and everything else at globalgeeknews.com and for those of you who weren't paying much attention Friday Saturday Sunday I took the sites both Global Geek News and the blog down for. Er, Oh, I guess it was probably since mid-Friday all the way up until late last night when I finally got everything mostly back together. And I have now merged all of the content from the blog into globalgeeknews.com. So if you're looking for any of the old blog posts, they are now at globalgeeknews.com. Just makes things a whole lot easier for me. Everything's at one place, and now there's one site that looks a whole lot more active than two sites that don't look very active at all. So... It, it makes things a little bit easier, a little bit more attractive. Now I'm kind of kicking around the idea of maybe a new layout. I like the one that we have now, but something new to spice it up would be good. Also, don't forget to check out the Global Geek News Store, which there's a button on uh, or a link up at the top of globalgeeknews.com if you're interested in getting some Global Geek News shirts, mugs, cooking aprons, um, purse. I think there's a person there. Um Stickers, buttons, light um, uh, bumper stickers, you name it. There's all kinds of stuff there. And if you guys haven't happened to have any recommendations for designs, or you want to design your own Global Geek News apparel or whatever, feel free to shoot me some designs, and I'll see about getting them up there on some of the shirts or stickers or something like that. I'm looking for a little bit more variety, and I just haven't had time to, to do it myself. So with that said... The Command & Conquer 4 giveaway is still going on for one more week. So far we have one entrant. So as of right now, that person is getting a copy unless we get some more people entering into the contest. And I believe I've got four or five copies of the game to give away. So if you want a copy of the game, your odds are really good right now. So um, hit up the contest. I believe that's probably in the story underneath um, this the post for the show notes on this uh, show. Anyway, might as well go ahead and jump right into our stories, uh, starting with apparently the Supreme Court is looking to decide whether or not states can regulate video games. Yes, this was kicked off um, by the legislation that was passed by the state of California, and Arnold Schwarzenegger signed it into law, limiting uh, 18-year-olds or people younger than 18 to by extremely, or uh, what they view as violent video games. Yeah, this, uh, the law that they passed isn't really much different than most of the other 
states that have tried to pass these laws only to have their state supreme courts strike down the laws and that basically require special labeling, making it a store. You can't, um, if you're under 18, you can't buy games. Um, I believe this was the California law was where they would have to block out most of the like front cover of the game with something so that kids couldn't see the front covers of games for whatever reason. Actually, I'm thinking maybe that was the version that was passed or attempted to be passed in Utah. There's been so yeah, many, but... there's been so many of these different uh, laws that have been tried to be passed against this. I can't keep them all straight anymore. Wow, uh, it sounds like a uh, pornography. <laughs> Yeah, just about. It's like every single state has struck it down for free speech limitations and stuff like that, and I've got a feeling that this isn't going to be too different. Yeah, it looks like this is uh, this is working its way up the court system, and they're going to see whether or not if uh, video games are protected under the right of free speech. Yeah, we probably won't hear much until next year. I know the court's not supposed to hear the case until this fall, so I'm guessing we probably won't hear any uh, results until the first part of next year. So, Yeah, these usually dry, um, uh, these, these drag out for a long time, and this is something that's just not only unattractive for kids, it's also for vendors uh, because it's showing that uh, violations can be fined up to a thousand dollars per incident if uh, if a shop or store is found in violation of this new law. So this is this is like the equivalent of uh, carding for alcohol. It'd be carding for video games, except it sounds like it's a very stiff penalty. Yeah, and I really don't know. At least around here, I don't know of anybody that doesn't card for them. Anyway, it's just as like a company policy, you know. Walmart cards for anybody under 18 for games and like under the age of 17 or whatever for rated R movies. GameStop does it. They never did me, but that's because I think that's more of a case of when you develop a relationship with the people that work there, they tend to let you slide a little bit more. Is this uh, a physical relationship? No. No, okay. I, no, just usually when I go in there for games, which is very rare since I buy most of my games on Steam, um, I usually end up been there for an hour or more talking about games from 20 years ago or new games or whatever. But, yeah, I I don't know if the retailers are willing to do this kind of on their own. I'm not sure how much this really needs to be legislated anyway. Yeah, I think this is overprotectionism of little kids and thinking that they, they can't handle violent video games, which I think that's something that the parents should make a judgment call on their own. I mean, if they're under 18, most likely they don't have a job, so they're getting money. So they're getting money to buy these video games. Uh, that's presumably the my the case anyway. Um, but uh, this just shows that parents need to be more involved in the purchases of their children. And, and they're just trying to legislate responsibility away from the parents and on, onto the courts. Yeah, this is just one of those things where there's never been any studies that show any kind of a causal link between violent video games and violent behavior. I mean, sure, you get the occasionally disturbed kid that 
goes out, and I don't remember if we talked about it on the show like a week or two ago. There was a kid that took a that apparently his kids took or his parents took away his Xbox. So at night he went in with a sledgehammer, bashed his dad's head in, and killed him. I don't remember if we talked about that on the show or not, but occasionally you'll have those occasional psychos anyway, and and I certainly don't think that one or two occasional psychos is enough to for to pass a law like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say that kid had other problems other than video games. Yeah. Well, speaking of people that, regardless of the law, would still be able to get access to the games, there's apparently college students who apparently can't go without media for 24 hours. Yeah, this is, uh, I don't know how big the study is but uh, it was conducted by the university of maryland what they had the participants do is uh, abstain from text messages videos emails that kind of stuff uh, and their cellular phones and go on a detox of the internet and uh, other kinds of media and see how they fared and apparently a lot of them cuts uh, anxiety uh, sickness and a feeling of being alone yeah, I was kind of surprised by this. There's been several times lately where um, I've cut down my uh, contact with the internet or watching TV and stuff to a minimum, but I've never, I don't know the last time where I've actually gone like a 24-hour period or whatever without anything, whether it was um, being able to browse the internet on my BlackBerry or watch any TV shows, listen to music, email, Facebook, whatever, with all of the different things that they included in the study, which I assume like video games and stuff was in here too. I don't know the last time that happened. The closest thing to me when that happens is when I'm traveling, flying from one place to another. But even that, I've still got my um, Zoom or whatever that I'm listen to, listening to music or podcasts on. I'm not sure. I, I would probably be in the same boat as a lot of these people as far as having having these other um, signs of addiction show up if I was to have to go without it for 24 hours. See, I don't think these are signs of addiction per se. I think it's perceived that way. I think it is a sign of the routine or leaving their comfort zone. If you took uh, an exec from uh, a a highly influential, highly structured managerial position, and then you throw him into a conference room with no one in there, and he can't talk to his team. He's effectively um, he's effectively cut off from everything that he knows. I'm sure he would have some of the same effects too over 24 hours. Of uh, he can't talk to his team he can't figure out how the status of his the current projects that he's going that that are uh he's managing how they're doing uh i think it's just being disconnected from something where you you're totally in control you manage your communications and also um not being in control and not being in the know which is something that you know people are just used to it's just a routine and i don't think it's an addiction it'd be an addiction i think if people were you know stealing other people's phones to check their email <laughs> or something like that. You know, just something that you hear of a crackhead doing. 
Yeah, maybe that's what happened with the whole iPhone 4G, is that he was just stealing it to check his email. <laughs> it was left, apparently. Not taken by force. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently Jason Chen had his house raided and all of his computers and stuff taken today. So, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, apparently the police came in. I guess he was out to dinner with his wife or whatever at the time. Police came in for several hours and went through, took all of his computers and servers and hard drives laying around and phones and everything. I guess he showed up kind of in the middle of the raid or whatever and they presented him with a warrant and I guess they didn't arrest him or anything. They just kind of hauled off all of his stuff. A warrant for what? (laughs) I don't know. Apparently Apple's claiming that the iPhone was stolen. I don't know if it's kind of because of the fact that Gizmodo or Gawker or whatever you want to or whatever you want to refer to it as. I guess I'm not real sure how the whole corporate structure works there. But after they paid five grand for a supposedly lost iPhone, I don't know if they're considering that stolen or what. Well, if uh, I can understand if they're considering it their property and any images is their prop is their property any notes any documentation that was taken um, their property too. So uh, they could be looking for any signs of images, any signs of 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 any reverse engineering of the components, that kind of stuff in, in their system that would make sense for that. But that sounds kind of dramatic for, you know, it's, it sounds, it sounds civil. It doesn't sound uh, criminal. Yeah. I've got a feeling that, uh, Gawker's going to end up in a lot more trouble for this than Jason Chen will, but I don't know. Mm. But anyway, back to the story. I think you have a good point of it being more than out of your comfort zone kind of a thing. And once in a while, I go out of my way to put myself out of my comfort zone just for the sake of enjoying a different experience or seeing how I can handle myself in an unfamiliar environment or whatever. But Mm -hmm. I've never gone as far as to purposefully go without any kind of media for 24 hours. I mean, you've never gone on vacation where you just left all your stuff? Not where I left all my stuff. Usually when I'm on vacation, I take a nice healthy collection of DVDs, a couple of laptops, some Nintendo platforms of some kind, a PSP. But that's entertainment, but that's not connectivity though, right? So, um, um, I don't Well, my phones and stuff, I still have the internet, but even in the study apparently it included music and TV shows and stuff too. Right. But yeah, I I don't know if I'd be even willing to try something like this. Oh, maybe someday. Not I would, as long as I knew something. Um, as long as I knew that there was a, an emergency way of people getting a hold of me. Or, um, I mean, because I, I, I've been camping. I've gone camping, and it's fun just being with nature sometimes. But it's... It, it's one thing when you have no responsibilities. It's another thing when you have a lot of responsibilities. And being totally cut off is something that is going to make you anxious. Yeah. Well, speaking of being cut off, apparently teenage girls aren't cut off because they're text messaging 80 times a day. Yes. Uh, also, they use proper punctuations over men who are opposed so apparently from this study uh, don't really use punctuation and, and text 
less than half the amount that, that girls do. Yeah, this study comes from my all-time favorite project, like I've said many times on here, the Pew Internet and American Life Project, where apparently they're kind of looking into teens and texting and the whole texting culture, and apparently they've found that three-fourths of teens between the age of 12 to 17 own cell phones, girls text 80 times a day, Guys tend to text 30 times a day within that age group. And apparently there's gotten to a point where there's even, since apparently there can be a lot of miscommunications via text, apparently when you're serious, you put periods and punctuation in your messages. Otherwise, you don't put them from the way I gather this. In my day, it used to be all caps mean you're mad. Now it's periods. <laughs> yeah, I, I I still go nuts over everybody who does all caps. Yeah, but uh, I gotta say you have to trust a study from a company that name sounds like Laser Blast. I mean, that's all I gotta say. <laughs> pew pew. Mm. <laughs> okay, I didn't get that there for a second. It's like, oh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of an interesting study. I mean. 80 times a day, and you figure you're awake, what, say, 16 hours a day? Mm-hmm. So you're looking at about five texts an hour or something like that. That That's a decent amount, I think. I mean, then again, I only text maybe five times a day, if that. So well, five you... times an hour is a little bit much as far as what I think anyway. You got to remember like back in the days when, when we were in school, I mean, they were still talking back and forth between people at the next desk over or even the next classroom over, um, you know, sneaking out in the hallway, whatever. This is just replacing that. So I I, I remember, (laughs) I remember spending hours on the phone in high school. I don't do that anymore. But um, the the way teens have an outlet to have some sort of connectivity to their peers is through texting. And it's always been that way. It's just a different way of doing the same thing. And uh, developing their own language, their own efficiencies, it's, it's just natural. Um, what's scary is the fact that they it's becoming so natural that they don't think it's wrong or inappropriate, inappropriate in some, some, uh, occasions, um, you know, like texting while driving. It's how showing that teens are six times likely to get into an accident if they're texting while they're driving. Yeah. And a lot of them are saying that even with these States banning texting while driving, it's not going to change their habits at all. Uh, Cause even law enforcement says that, it's almost impossible to enforce because you can never really tell for sure. Are they texting? Are they looking up a phone number? Are they dialing somebody? What What are they doing on their phone? Mm-hmm. And last I knew, and I haven't heard for a while, I or I don't think I've heard much since about maybe a month or two after they enacted the texting while driving ban around here, but last I knew there still wasn't a single ticket issued for texting while driving because... The cops had no way of really saying for sure that somebody was texting while driving or emailing or Twittering or whatever. I think it's basically just around text entry or whatever. 
but you can still read text, read emails, whatever. It it's one of those laws with a lot of holes in it. Yeah. They Include- would require require them to become experts in different mobile operating systems too that verify. Let me see your phone, let me see if you're texting kind of a thing. And then at that point it could be like, no, it's you know, that's private information, you're gonna need a warrant to check my phone. Yeah. And of course there's my all time favorite exception. If you have a ham radio license, the law does not apply to you. Yeah, or if you're a police officer. <laughs> I mean, they have full-blown laptops in their car. Yeah, that's one thing I've never really understood. I'm not allowed to reply to emails or whatever while I'm driving, yet they're doing all kinds of stuff on their laptops while they're driving. Whenever I pass them on the road, I don't usually see them even much looking up from their laptop, but maybe once every three or four seconds. But at the same time, that's good, because that means they're not running the radar gun on me, and I can speed right by them. Yeah, they have Hulu in their car. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. The It seems like their uh, network around here on their for their laptops or whatever seems to go down quite often. Just from what I hear listening to the police scanner, it seems like it's down a couple times a month or a couple times a week or something like that. But anyway, speaking of... Actually, I'm not real sure how to transition to the next story. Apparently, Speaking of things things you things you like or don't like. <laughs> yeah, apparently, a senator Charles Schumer from New York has penned a letter to the FCC against the whole Facebook's instant personalization features and hopes that the FCC or the FTC, excuse me, will create some privacy guidelines for Facebook and other social networks. Yeah, they don't like the the new Open Graph API that Facebook lost or, uh, launched in their F8 conference. Um, new ways of tying Facebook to the internet and outside of the walled garden of Facebook and having some of that information appear to personalize your experience on these different websites. I still don't fully understand Open Graph personally. Um, I mean, I see... I, I went to... One of my first had one of my first experiences by I went to a website and it said your friends also like this article you sh- I mean uh, website you should like it too and mm-hmm. it's a site that I, I actually have I uh, I frequent uh, but I don't don't necessarily like well I think I've kind of seen that a little bit with the whole Facebook fan page boxes where like on a Mashable or something like that, it'll have their little fan page box, or well, I guess now it's the like box, where it'll show you a number of people who like it also, and usually in that are a good number of your friends or whatever. So yeah, but this it, was it's not outside, like it's completely new. Yeah, but this was outside the box, and it was a drop down. It was like a, you know, the IE bar at the top when mm-hmm. you get a warning, or um, it was kind of a frame at the top of the window. That, that listed all my friends that liked it or were friends hmm. uh, and said to me specifically. So uh, that was a little creepy. But uh, one thing that I've learned or heard about, once again, I'm still kind of sketchy, is that basically none of that information is being transmitted to that website. If you don't like them, if you like them, then that you, you're basically opting in to uh, volunteer some of your data to that website. But until that time, 
they apparently don't have that information. It's just being pulled directly from Facebook servers. Yeah, I'm honestly not real sure where I stand on this whole instant personalization thing yet. I mean, on one side, of course, you got all your privacy issues. You don't necessarily want your friends taking all of your information it and then giving it to another site or whatever that they may want to personalize their experience with. But at the same time, if I was to be a user of this service and I wanted to see if my uh, if my friends are um, a part of a website or whatever, I can see great value in it for me as a user of it. So I'm not real sure where I stand on this, if it's more of a privacy issue for me or whether I'm looking for a more rich user experience. Yeah, just a general commentary. I, I really don't like how Facebook makes it hard to unlike something once you're once you like something. Yeah, the one thing I've noticed, especially with the um, fan boxes like Mashable uses, they've got the like button, and to um, unlike it, you or to like it, you click once. To unlike it, you click again. But you have no real distinct way of making sure that you like it. It's just kind of a, you have to recognize the color of the like button. It, it doesn't change the term to unlike or something like that. So it, it does make it a little bit harder. Well, I tried to um, I tried to go through and unlike all the stuff I liked in the past or, or fanned in the past mm-hmm. um, just because they are rolling out more, more data about me to these companies. And also saying I like something but, – Previously, when I was a fan of something, that's just something that I was just saying, hey, if they want to get in touch with me, that's cool. Uh, but this it was just a show of support. Now with this like, it feels more like an endorsement of saying that I like this and you should like it too. And I, I just don't feel comfortable with that. And so I'm going to try to unlike all the stuff unless there's something I truly do endorse and want to keep up with, like the – the Global Geek News fan page. Yeah, speaking of which, there is a link to that in the show notes for those that want to like the Global Geek News uh, fan page or like page or whatever it wants, whatever they want to call it now. That's one of the things I don't like about this whole like thing is that ter- it just screws up the terminology. I don't want to like somebody. I want to be a fan of somebody. Fan and like don't meet, mean the same thing. Yeah. Anyway, that just kind of... I like David Hasselhoff. I don't want to be his fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that's kind of the situation I'm in. There's a lot of places where I'm I'm more than like them. I want to be a fan of them. Right. And it's just kind of two degrees of how much you enjoy something. And so to me, they don't at all mean the same thing. But speaking of things that... I like that are going away. Apparently, Sony is shutting down its Japanese floppy disk sales by March 2011. Apparently, after this is after it's killed off the sales and pretty much the rest of the world. Yeah, it was wasn't it? Sony was the last vendor to stop selling VH or making uh, VCRs, selling VCRs too. Uh, I don't think it was Sony. I was thinking that was Magnavox, but I'm not sure. Oh, okay. All right, well, um, I, I personally, I don't see, I think this is the end of an era. I think it's a little bit sad because I do have some uh, nostalgia around floppy disks. But 
um, I don't remember the last time I even used one of those things. And um, I had, when I did programming, uh, when I did w- uh, websites, <laughs> when I was like a freshman in college, I used to put it on a floppy. Um, yeah, USB drives and with the internet and transferring media, um, I think this is, it's it's high time for the floppy disk to go away. But even still, they're delaying the shutdown of their plants until uh, next year. Yeah, well, these things have really been kind of useless anyway. I mean, what can you fit on a disk that's 1.44 megs? I mean, there's not a whole lot that you can put on there. That's kind of why everybody's going for larger and larger USB drives. But on the computer I have that I just built a couple of months ago... I don't have any kind of a floppy drive on it. The computer I had before that, I still had a floppy drive on it. But it's been maybe half a dozen years since or so since I've used a floppy drive, just because up until fairly recently, to flash the BIOS on your motherboard or whatever, you still had to use a floppy drive. Yeah. Now you can use it with USB drives, but that was the only reason I ever kept putting floppy drives in new computers whenever I'd build them was because I know at some point I would want to flash the BIOS on the motherboard and that used to be the only way you could do it. Yeah. Um, you That was the only way that you could um, you know, flash, flash it and also uh, restore sometimes if there was a problem with a CD-ROM drive and you couldn't boot. You couldn't and you wanted to fix your operating system. I used to have a utility disk that would just boot to, and uh, I would be able to read and write to it. That was the problem with booting from a CD. You couldn't write. You could only read if you had a bootable CD. Um, so back in my troubleshooting days. Um, but I'll miss it, but not for long. <laughs> I think uh, I may just go out and buy a whole box of them just for the heck of it. <laughs> you keep, them, keep them in the cellophane and then sell them as antiques later. Yeah, 20 years from now, if eBay's still around, sell them on there. Yeah. But, yeah, what amazes me about this is the fact that Sony still shipped 12 million of them in just Japan last year. That's what really shocks me about this whole story. Yeah, I'm guessing they're old, old data centers around the world that still needed them for some reason. Uh, I, I remember there are some applications that would have to dump their logs to floppy. Uh, and you have to just swap swap them out every once in a while. Um, yeah, I'm guessing systems like that. And when you think about uh, all the OS2 warp systems that are out there, I mean, there's a lot of old computers that are still in circulation. Yeah, I know there's some people that... I know the percentage is extremely small, but there's still people that have, like, Windows 95, Windows 98, and machines laying around, and... If I recall, I think the copy of Windows 95 that I used to have was like on 15 different floppy disks or something like that. It, yeah. It's kind of amazing to think that it had to be on 15 different floppy disks, but when you're only when you only have 1.44 megs, it doesn't take much to fill those up. Yeah. And you need three more floppy disks if you're doing an upgrade because um, you would have DOS in those. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's amazing how far we've come. Mm-hmm. But speaking of things that are soon going to die, apparently IPv4 addresses are just about to run out in 
about a year and a half, and that's going to cause some major problems. I remember like a few years ago, they still said we were 10 years out before running out of IP addresses, but I'm guessing we're accelerating, um, especially with devices like the iPhone, they have the Android operating system, and then when, and all these mobile handheld devices, and now we have the iPad and all these uh, portable devices that each person is going to need multiple IP addresses. So this makes sense that it's only 18 months away. Uh, this sounds closer to the the problems uh, that were predicted around Y2K than anything else about computers just not being able to connect to the internet. Yeah, that's essentially what's going to happen if if ISPs and stuff don't move to IPv6, which I don't know um, how big the whole movement to IPv6 is. I know that Comcast has some IPv6 trials going on or whatever. I think I saw something a while back where I could get in on those trials if I want. Didn't really want to, just because I was worried about um, some compatibility with some legacy, legacy games that I have that could only take IPv4 addresses. But it even Comcast doesn't seem like they're really in any big rush to switch everybody to IPv6. Yeah, I, I'm kind of scared, but not at the same time. If uh, I hate it when I can't connect to the internet. But if everybody in the world can't connect to the internet, this is something that if it does hit us, it'll be fixed pretty pretty darn fast. Um, it, it, the, the, the director class switches and routers, the very expensive, you know, the, the big ones, They've been IPv6 for years now. I would say probably probably six to seven years. The all the ones that are sold had to be IPv6 ready. Um, so it's always it's only the the servers, the server farms, all the people who uh, who haven't been prepared. That's going to cause problems, and uh, it's one of those things where a week's tops, I think everybody will be upgraded IPv6. It'll be a hard transition, but I think people are just waiting for um, for it to get bad enough for, for them to prompt them to, to, to rush to get things up, up upgraded to work with IPv6. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but I think you can... I know like when you're getting like a web host or something like that, you can buy a dedicated IP address. I think I might actually consider doing that before all the addresses and stuff run out so that no matter what, I can still have an IPv4 address even while everybody else is to the point where they're squatting or aren't able to connect at all because they can't get an address. Right, but this article is stating that um, if you're IPv4, uh, you won't be able to accept connections from IPv6. So if the transition does happen and, and then we flip that, uh, ratio when where most traffic is IPv6, they won't be able to connect to an IPv4 address. I think there's some kind of a compatibility there, so at least in a lot of cases, so I don't think that's going to be too big of an issue, I don't believe. Because trying to get everything to migrate from one to the other, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Well, they said there's some server-side software you can use to translate IPv6 into IPv4. Uh, but it's very processor intensive, and so it's not—it's going to slow down the site and be 
very unattractive. Yeah, the big worry about all of this is people are going to, or organizations are going to hoard IP addresses, and then once we run out, then they're going to start trying to sell them to people for high prices. I say bring it. Seriously, I mean, there's nothing like uh, innovation, uh, and that's through some sort of difficulty and trials. I think it's... I don't want to put it at the level of uh, a massive uh, world attack or world panic, uh, but it's going to be one of those things where I think it's going to need to be that level for people to learn. It's like how legislation doesn't pass until a huge tragedy occurs. Uh, A kid drowns in the pool and they pass laws saying that kids or pools must be fenced off uh, so that and and childproof unless there's a guard present that kind of stuff I think it's the same thing that like people aren't going to learn oh why do I need a new computer with the right IP address or the right hardware or why do I need to buy a new router because you can't connect to the internet unless you unless you have it people this is the reason why people haven't converted till now anyway it's because they just don't understand why yeah well and trying to teach people the difference between IPv4 and IPv6 would be a nightmare. I mean, look at all the problems that just the whole analog to digital television switch caused. To get people to understand the difference between IPv4 and IPv6, that would be pretty much almost impossible. But in the end, with the transition, we ripped the Band-Aid off, saying, we are cutting it off now. And then some people were like, well, I can't get my, my TV doesn't work anymore. And then they just had to figure out why. I think that's something we need. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping the transition goes a little bit more smoothly than it looks like it's going to, but I don't know. But speaking of transitions, apparently if you transition from a Kindle to an iPad, you're going to suffer from insomnia. Yeah, this is stating that um, it's preventing um, the, the screen or the brightness from the LZ. LCD, LCD is preventing um, melatonin generation, which could um, prevent you from going to sleep, causing insomnia, which I totally don't agree with because I use my laptop before I go to sleep every night and I don't have a problem sleeping. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how much I necessarily buy this. Apparently the whole backlight thing kind of screws up with your body's internal clock for the producing of melatonin which helps you sleep and whatnot so i'm i don't know i i'm always on my computer or watching tv or whatever right before i go to bed apparently since you're not sitting so close to tvs that doesn't matter as much as a computer or whether you're using your a laptop in bed or an ipad or whatever i haven't really noticed that much of a difference other than the fact that late at night say 10, 11 o'clock at night or whatever after staring at my computer for hours, my I do end up with a little bit of eye strain from it enough that I finally decide to shut it off and go to bed. But that that's the only real difference that I've noticed. But then again, I sleep with a router next to my bed, and they say that that's not a good thing to do because that can also screw up your sleep too. Yeah. So... Uh, Routers, I mean, blinky lights <laughs> definitely can screw your sleep. Yeah, I don't, blink, blinking lights or whatever don't usually 
screw with me too much. But supposedly the radio waves are kind of supposed to kind of screw with you if you have your route if you have your wireless router anywhere near you. Which in my case, I have it all of about a foot from my head because I have it sitting on my on the headboard on my bed, just because that's pretty much the only place I have room for it. But I guess if you're having sleepless nights and you're an iPad owner or you use the computer a lot before you go to bed, it might not be a good it might be a good idea to try going without that using something like a Kindle or whatever before you go to bed instead. Right. And um, the charity work at here at the Global Geek News, we will be willing to take any iPads off your hands if you need to. Uh, find a way to donate it or get rid of it. We can find a home for it. Yeah, same thing for computers and stuff, too. I'm always on the lookout for more, even though I don't have any room for more. Especially extra monitors. I'm looking to move to, like, a three-monitor setup. And right now I kind of need to do desk first. But if you happen to have three monitors that you're getting rid of, send those our way, too. But speaking of the iPad, apparently iPad users consume three times more video than others. Yes, because uh, it's a mono or single-use device, so that makes sense. So you're going to be focused on one thing. And if you're on YouTube, have you ever done this? But I, I know I have. You got on YouTube, you go to someone's channel, you watch a video, you find it interesting, you go to the next video, the next video. Kind of the same thing. You're kind of siloed into one site. So if you happen to be on the video site, most likely you'll stay on that video site until you have to find something else to do. Yeah, I actually find myself doing that more and more. And I don't use YouTube for a lot of videos all that often. For anything, I I mainly use it for concert videos more than anything else. I Just because I have yet to discover a real good way of discovering relevant videos other than what it might, what YouTube might recommend me on the main page. But most of the time I'm usually just looking for concert videos so I just kind of go from one video to the next, uh, a lot of times to see different concert videos from the same concert or something like that. So Yeah. Yeah, it definitely keeps me in there for quite a while, usually. And when you talk about the iPad also, it's when you look at some of the specialized apps, uh, like uh, the Netflix app uh, or the YouTube app, it makes sense that people would want to just, you know, if you're in that app, that's what you're doing. I mean, it's generally a recreational device anyway. Uh, you use it to consume different kinds of media. Um, you're not using it to author any content, really. So it makes sense that you're whatever when you're using it as a consumption device, you're going to be consuming more, consuming more. But I think also we're still in the honeymoon period of the device. It, mm-hmm. it reminds me of the Wii. When the Wii first came out, people played it like crazy um but then it died off you know until uh you know some of the newness wore off and i think we need some of that newness to wear off before we figure out real uses patterns uh, of the ipad yeah they're saying that even without flash support ipad is now the fifth most popular mobile device behind the iphone ipod touch symbian and android all in that order Apparently, they consume three times more videos as regular web users. They spend four times as long watching videos as web users. And they consume five times as many videos as iPhone users. And it seems like they're mainly blaming this on the lack of multitasking, which 
I'm not sure it can necessarily be attributed to that, especially if you're comparing it against the iPhone or the iPod Touch, because that has the same restrictions as well. I, I think it's more of a difference in form factor that makes a um, an experience when it comes to viewing videos that's a whole lot better than watching it on a small portable device or even on your web browser where – or. Yeah, on your web browser or on your computer where you can have all kinds of tabs open. You're not necessarily running multiple processes. You're just got, you just have 50 different tabs open. Yeah, and I think this is just the overusage of the iPad and uh, using HTML5 sites. I mean, they're, they're still rare. Uh, they're, they're not abundant. Uh, even the HTML5 browser itself is not that abundant to, to what people are using. Um, so I, I just think it's a niche fitting in with another niche. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how these numbers change over time once the whole honeymoon period wears off. I'd like to see another survey done six months from now, a year from now, to see how they how these numbers have changed. Because apparently they did uh, some, ran some similar numbers not too long ago, apparently just a few weeks ago. And even from those, they've gone up considerably. So I'm kind of curious to see more long-term numbers. But speaking of video, it looks like people in New Zealand might not be viewing a whole lot of pirated video because it looks like they're getting ready to finally pass a three-strikes log. Yeah, apparently unanimously... um... The, the the general public is feeling that this is a good thing. Well, I don't know if it's just the public that thinks it's a good thing, but... Well, the public representative. <laughs> yeah, all of the elected official officials that have likely been... had lots of money donated to their campaigns and whatnot to get this thing pushed through. Um, I, I think we talked about it before. Maybe this was a little bit before you came on the show where apparently the New Zealand government back in 2008 tried to introduce something similar, but it had um, some major issue in it that sparked protests and stuff. Well, they went back to the drawing board and have come up with a new copyright amendment bill, which replaces the earlier proposals with the modified stuff for illegal file sharing. And now with this new bill, which apparently it's still going through various committees and stuff, I guess they're now they're waiting on the Commerce Select Committee, which will report back to Parliament in six months. But with the new bill, there's a three strikes laws where if you get um, called out for piracy three times, you get to spend six months offline, which I guess that's better than some that have tried to push through lifetime bans. But still, six months offline and a $15,000 fine, or in whatever currency it is that they use down there, it's a little over $10,000 here in the U.S. Mm. That's still a nice little deterrent. Yes. Uh, depending on how enforceable it is, of course, we have this whole thing about an IP address is not a person. It's just a, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's hard to pin one with the other. So challenges may be hard. It depends on the – I don't know how educated their their just judicial system is about how this stuff works. But if they're not as 
educated than same with the lawyers and the defense system. I mean, I don't know if the EFF has any presence there, but I don't think they do. Uh, it, it was it could be quite an effective deterrent. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see um, how well it does because in all the other countries like France and stuff that have passed three strikes laws, piracy has actually gone up after they pass the laws. So I don't know. I know if something like that ever happened here. I would be taking advantage of services like we used for our tip of the week last week, um, BT Guard or whatever, that allow for VPN services for running things like BitTorrent and stuff. And I can't think of the Pirate Bay's version of their VPN, but basically the same thing. And also, you would think with the limited bandwidth that whole island has, I mean... How bad is piracy there? Is it that? Is it really that bad? Yeah, I don't know. I've always kind of wondered that when it comes to island nations, what their, how bad piracy is, what their internet connection speeds and stuff are. I don't remember. I don't recall seeing them on any internet speed lists that I've looked at real recently, but I'm not sure. But speaking of piracy numbers, apparently the MPA refuses to explain it's source for piracy data. You know, that uh, basically that data they just kind of pulled out of thin air. Yeah, they have only revised one number. is about college kids and the percentage uh, that they, uh, the percentage college kids are as, as piraters. They revised it down from 44% to 15%, but still they don't justify how they got that 15%. Yeah, there's this is a case where... They have their quote-unquote studies that say how pi- how bad piracy is and everything. And there's all kinds of other studies that says, no, that's not true at all. And you can't call one um, pirated download a lost sale and all kinds of other stuff. Yet they're still trying to push this to the government. And finally, the Government Accountability Office said... Where in the world are you getting these crazy numbers from? Because uh, they, they finally decided to call their bluff, and they refused to say anything at all. Yeah. Um, there's no reason why they would release it if they know they made it up. So it makes sense for them to hold their guns uh, until there's maybe a class action lawsuit between everyone who's been prosecuted by them using, uh, or, or maybe they could call it themselves like um, that they perjured the court for presenting false facts. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hoping that this um, spreads throughout the government so maybe some of our elected idiots will be able to see how false these numbers are and maybe we won't have to worry so much about things like ACTA or Three Strikes Laws or anything else because they'll realize just how bogus these numbers are and these and that these organizations are just a bunch of liars out for themselves and nobody else. Yeah, well, I mean, of course they're going to slant it in their, their own favor of being the victim in this whole thing. Uh, but instead they're just trying to use their massive influence and power to control the game and to uh, try to make make a, uh, a mountain out of a molehill of, of, of a problem. But I think it's, 
as you said, uh, with the crackdown of the three strikes rule in the past, people are going to feel empowered and justified of what they're doing because of this uh, reaction. It's going to just make them more hated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't treat your customers like criminals and expect them to still buy stuff from you. Right. But speaking of treating people like criminals, apparently in the UK there's now a new system in testing where it's using a satellite to track speeders. Yeah, it's the same kind of concept of tracking a fastball. You point a laser at something and you, and you can see how fast it moves from one point to another point. Uh, they're going to do the same thing with uh, whole areas instead of just single streets uh, using satellites to determine who's speeding. Yeah, apparently it's going to use satellites and a system of cameras to say, okay, if you got here faster than you should have got here if you were going the speed limit, you're getting a ticket. Mm-hmm. And if they ever do this anything like this in the U.S., I'm giving up my car and I will never drive again. Because <laughs> you'll get a ticket every day or every two days. Yeah, pretty much. It would be more like multiple tickets every day. Yeah, I think speeding is one of those things where it's the only law I pretty much break regularly. Because it's, it, it's speed kills, but it's not always fast speed. Sometimes it's slow speed. Uh, it's just driving appropriate to the road and the conditions. You know, from the one uh, speeding ticket that I got back in 2007, uh, I pleaded with the judge to let me take the state patrol's Alive at 25 program, which is basically a case of spending 75 bucks to waste a Saturday, being told different supposed facts about dangerous driving and watching a video of mutilated bodies and stuff, which... I work for a towing company. That's nothing new to me. Um, but they were definitely very one-sided in the numbers that they used. They were saying how much more fatal an accident is going at different rates of speeds and stuff. But, of course, they never bothered to tell you other studies that have shown if you're going at higher speeds, you're less likely to get into an accident, period. Mm-hmm. But I'm you, guessing if... It, if, as long as you're not texting, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, and of course that wasn't one of the um, complaints about it that I brought it up in front of the judge. It was just kind of a, okay, judge, yeah, I learned a lot. Um, can I go now? And he yeah. let me off without having to pay a fine. Still got the points, and it really screwed up my insurance. But at least I didn't have to pay the fine. But by the time I spent the 75 bucks on the class, drove back and forth to Canyon City to... Um, deal with different court hearings and stuff, it probably would have just been cheaper to have paid the fine and when I got the ticket and been done with it. Yeah. But Well, yeah, I agree with you that it's going to be a scary, scary um, day in America when this is deployed, if it is deployed here in America, because right now it's in, in uh, the UK, um, but the company that developed this technology is a, a US company. So there is a possibility that they could try to market it here. And uh, especially if this goes into trial and it shows to increase revenue significantly and uh, deaths and accidents, uh, as long as those are on a decrease, would, it, they could use those numbers to market it here in, in the States. Yeah, it, it certainly um, 
gives me one less reason to want to go to the UK. Growing up, I always wanted to go, and I love British women, but I, with stuff like this and all the CCTV cameras and stuff, I have no desire to go to the UK anymore. Mm-hmm. But, well, not drive there anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really don't have much of a desire to go there anyway. It's just gotten to be where they seem to be too much of a big brother police state for me to even want to go visit or anything. Yeah. Well, but that's a topic for a whole nother show. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we want to bra- branch off into the whole political type stuff or anything like that. Maybe once in a while. Not tonight. We're kind of out of time as it is. We're actually right at the end of our time, but don't forget we still have the tips of the week. Two different things. Speaking of the uh, Facebook instant personalization thing, there's a how to disable it coming from Mashable for opting out for specific sites, blocking instant personalization for all sites. Basically, if you want to get rid of this whole instant personalization thing or um, limit to what extent you have, um, uh, to what it can share about you or whatever. This is definitely going to be the guide for you. Also, our second and final tip of the week is 19 tips every Windows 7 user should know. This coming from Maximum PC. Everything from... There's keyboard shortcuts. There's a whole bunch of keyboard shortcuts to recording your actions with a problem step recorder. So... Say you're having some some kind of a technical issue, and you need to send what you're have like a little screen recording of what you're doing, sending it off to your IT guy so he can kind of see what you're doing, since he can't necessarily be with you at all times. Um, that's just one of the many tips in here. Launching stuff with a matter of keystrokes, taking control of UAC to, to determine how often the little UAC pop-ups come up, which with Windows 7, I don't, I actually don't really mind them so much. I never really pay attention to them anyway, but they're not half as annoying as Vista, where on Vista, the very first thing I would do after I installed the fresh install of Vista was turn that off, because by the time I installed all my software and stuff, I'd be um, going through hundreds of the stupid things, and it was just a waste of time. But with Windows 7, it's not too bad, but Again, there's all kinds of different t- trips for um, like calibrating your notebook's text and color and all kinds of different stuff. So if you're looking to generate energy reports or whatever on Windows 7, you'll want to check out this these 19 tips every Windows 7 user should know. And of course, don't forget you can find all of our show notes at globalgeeknews.com and all of the blog content is now on globalgeeknews.com. Um... If you happen to find any broken links or anything that has been kind of left over from the migration, please let me know so I can get those fixed. I'm working on ones that I know about, but I'm sure there's plenty that I don't know about. And for those of you that were subscribed to the Global Geek News Twitter account, which is at Global Geek News, um, on Friday you probably noticed a huge flood of tweets about various posts that have gone up over the past couple of years. And sorry about that, I got them all deleted. Not 
apparently, from my understanding of what happened, is when I migrated it from the blog to the main site, it the main site assumed that they were all news posts and should be Twittered about. So it tweeted everything, and within a matter of a couple of seconds, it like tweeted like a hundred and some odd stories, and I couldn't tweet anymore from the account for another hour, and it was just one big mess. And I think I lost a couple of followers over it, but I think only like two, so it wasn't too bad. But apologies to everybody for that. Although, don't forget there is plenty of back content that you can go check out that's still relevant today. But um, don't forget you can follow along at Global Geek News on Twitter, which is at Global Geek News. You can like us on Facebook, which that is, of course, linked to in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at PCNerd37. You can follow Wesley on Twitter, who's at Wesley83. And... I can't think of anything else to plug other than the Global Geek News online store for any merchandise you have. And don't forget to, um, if you enjoy the show, think we have some great content, you want to support the show, in every, in every podcast post there is a PayPal button for a $5 a month donation. We would really appreciate it if you'd help out the show. It helps to go to pay for hosting bills, domain bills, and... If I ever get caught up on those, which I'm still several hundred dollars in the hole on, I'd like to upgrade some audio equipment, move us to video, and a number of other things. So if you'd like to do that, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, Anything else you can think of, Wesley, that we need to discuss? Um, No, that's it. All righty. Well, as far as I know, we will be back next week. And don't forget to participate in the Global Geek News Command & Conquer 4 giveaway. And we will see you guys next week. Later.